I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. known like there was every chance so I was fourth um, in terms of Olympic qualifying times um, when that email was sent so the writing was sort of on the wall before that but it's not till you get it that it kind of sinks in um, so we kind of knew that there was you know every chance of not getting the congratulations letter but um, nothing quite sort of you know helps when you get the one that knocks you back that's Brad Milosevic with that quote there to open the show, and he was my guest on this episode of Tell Me Your Tales podcast. So it was awesome to sit down with Brad this week for a bit of a chat over Skype. Um, I must admit before we start that it was it was a bit laggy Skype, so I kind of asked the questions, and it almost takes a second or so to get to him up there in Sydney, and then um, yeah, it comes back again, so it's probably not as clean cut as the last couple of episodes. But I still think it's really good quality. There's some really good content in there. There's some amazing stories that he gets to talking about um, winning the Melbourne Marathon in 2016 and kind of chasing down the Kenyans that day. He talks about finding out he didn't make the Olympics for Rio after being the fourth fastest qualifier um, with his 216. We have a chat about his training and um, his progression into running and even his nutrition and um, some of the ups and downs he's experienced. Brad is quite a private guy. It was um, funny doing research on him. He's really kind of hard to get too much personal information on. He's pretty quiet on all the social media. I actually thought that we weren't friends on Facebook just because he never puts up something. So he kind of searched his profile page and found out that we were friends. But I think his last post was in 2014 or something like that. So... He's, um, yeah, super quiet online, but just a really good, really good bloke and just genuine and just works super hard and he's got some awesome results from it as well. Um, this conversation was pretty raw, pretty pure. We kind of just went in whatever direction it kind of felt like it was going. Um, yeah, really sit back and enjoy it and figure out some life lessons, I guess, from a 216 marathon guy and one of the best runners that we've got in Australia at the moment. If you like the show, um, numbers have been awesome. I've been overwhelmed by the response that I've had in the first couple of episodes. Um, and that probably goes to the quality of the guests. So if you can put good guys on, that makes a big difference. I've got some um, decent people coming up. If you've got a suggestion for me, though, I'm more than happy to hear any suggestions and uh, send some emails or some tweets. Or I've just been kind of yeah, going with whatever's popping up at the moment. So if you've got some suggestions for me, that would be fantastic. If you want to see what I'm up to, um, I've been blogging a bit on my website, bradytrailful.com. 
uh, running wise I've just been having a, a bit of a detraining phase at the moment just kind of sitting at 100k 100k's a week just trying to um, work on a couple of health concerns but all good bigger picture stuff kind of focusing on at the moment just giving the body a bit of a rest after a couple of years of big training just to work on a couple of other health things so um, enjoy this interview and as I said if you've got any suggestions hit me up with uh, what you want to listen to and yeah if you want spread the news and share it with somebody else if you think it's good content cheers Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. No worries at all. Thank you for your time. I'm sure um, you're a pretty busy man. What's been on so far this morning? This morning? Oh, just the casual second run. Yeah. So you've done two already. Yeah, nothing too stressful. <laughs> well, no, the second run I did first this morning, so. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. You know how it is. And fresh back Easy from Japan. Yeah. Yeah, good week in Japan. Straight into wet Sydney. Yeah, right. Do you want to maybe just unpack what the Japanese trip was all about? Uh, yeah. So I went to Japan, to Nagoya, for the second time. I last went in 2015. Um, there's a big women's uh, marathon on there, the Nagoya Women's Marathon, and um, a half marathon, which is kind of run by like the community, I guess, and I uh, went over with the guy who runs Blackmore's Marathon and Lexi Gilmore and um, just punched out a half. As you do in 64.52, was it? A time? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wish. Wasn't it? it was, uh, just 60. under 60. Just under 61? I was under 65. 64.50 odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now that's what I thought it was going at sixty four fifty two. I read somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was PB? good. Big PB. Yeah. And does someone from your squad yeah. go over to that race every year? Uh, sorry, does who? Does someone from your squad go over there every year for that one? Uh, generally, yeah, yeah. It's only happened the last few years. Yeah. Um, where Scott went, um, I think three three years ago. Um, Scotty Westcott went over. Yeah. For it, so. Beautiful. Um, no, it's good. Very good. You'd have to be pretty happy with the shape you're in then, running 64 and 64.50s for half marathon. Yeah, well, it's a PB was um, from 2014, and I raced, I think, uh, you were in up at the Gold Coast. I wasn't, actually. Um, I think, I, think I missed us, that this year. You that were. Year. Yeah. Was that when Josh Harris was uh, there as well? Because a few of us... In the top 10, I think Josh Harris might have snuck into third, um, and a few of us all ran PBs in that race. Um, so, yeah, um, an old PB, which has finally been broken, is good. Yeah, it's good to knock over those old ones. I remember um, I went to Christchurch instead about two weeks or three weeks before, 
And I remember sitting on the couch watching oh, the Gold yeah. Coast splits and just like, oh, this looks like the best <laughs> race. And everyone just had massive runs to get under 60, uh, six minutes. Yeah, it was a good, yeah, that was a good day. Yeah, beautiful. For people that everyone, aren't Everyone helped each other that day. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. For people that aren't aware of you though, mate, can you maybe give us a bit of an introduction to yourself? Um, yeah, I'm just out in Western Sydney in near uh, Blacktown, Quakers Hill. So I cop a lot of uh, slack on that, that front. <laughs> but um, I've been running for about 10 years with um, Ken Green. And he's a Randwick Botany sort of base coach. Um, progressed from school cross country, playing soccer, cricket, the usual. Um, decided had enough, decided to run. Joined Ken 10 years ago. And now we're heading into sort of marathon territory and, you know, state and national events and hopefully a few world events. Yeah, for sure. Pretty modest introduction when you think about the fact that you've won the biggest fun run in Australia, the City of Surf, and the Melbourne Marathon in a pretty decent time of 2.16. Uh, yeah, I don't like to talk much about myself. Yeah. There, yeah. Um... Well, you might find the next <laughs> half an hour um, a bit difficult. We'll see how we go. Um, so we'll right. what were your earliest memories of running? So as you said, the school stuff and the school cross country, did you always excel at it early on? Uh, average. I was never, I guess it's a cliche response. I was never a standout. I, um, obviously played a lot of soccer and cricket through that primary school years. And then, yeah, school cross country in high school was second. I think I only won it in year 12. Um, never made state until year 11. So for cross country. So started somewhat, I guess, slow and steady. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, and I read Run. somewhere that you um, you really talk about how it's just been that gradual progression, your whole kind of running career. Do you want to maybe just walk us through that a bit? Uh, yeah, I, I guess, as I said, like from school, I think I'd not made state, I think, to what year? Maybe I think I just said year 11. I made it a few years before that, but I was 43rd one year, 42nd the next um, this tenth, is at state. And then this is at state for school. So two years sort of in the middle of the pack and then um, a bit of a breakthrough. I came 10th or 11th one year. Um, and then my final year in year 12, I came second at state. So um, it was kind of from 43rd three years before to second um, a little bit later, it's I've kind of I think I've kind of kept that progression going, um, in sort of the senior athletic side. Yeah, for sure. Why do you think those improvements happened? Just like early days in your schooling. Well, um, the events got a bit longer. Yeah. And I just kept and I just kept at it. So nothing really changed. Just twelve months on, um, a bit fitter, a bit stronger, and. Yeah, I guess here we are now, um, having a chat. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, 
Was that – it would have been good for your confidence, though, just keep, you know, rocking up one year, guys are smashing you out, and then all of a sudden you're, you're with them the year after and then smashing them the year after. And then did you find a lot of those guys just disappeared? Like you never saw those champions from year 11 again? Uh, yeah, look, there was a few – it probably happens with every sport, but athletics seems to get um, a fair few dropouts. Um, always more people join. Um, but yeah, there are a few who, who do fade away, which is a bit of a shame, um, for the sport in general. Um, I've seen some very talented people, um, you know, leave the sport. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, I was in the same boat. Like I got into it when I was kind of year 10, 11 and you used to get smashed, but then all of a sudden people are dropping off and you're getting better and better. And all of a sudden you get to 20 and there's only a handful of blokes left in that same, that same pool of talent. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's the same, I guess, for the sport. It's, um, I guess, one race which did stand out. Um, I won't say too much. It was that Gold Coast run yeah. um, in 2014. Uh, all of a sudden, I've gone from, you know, mid-pack, because I would have been just a senior, about 23, I reckon, 23, 24. So you're kind of lost in the middle of the senior pack uh, of the elite runners of Marty Dent, Jeff Hunt, and um, little old me, and I crept up into second into what was, I think, a gold label or a silver label half marathon. It kind of hits you in the face of, oh, you know, here we go. This is seven years of training and effort, and you sort of get that little reward. Is was kind of a bit of an eye-opener. And there's probably two things to touch on there because the guy who was in first place was an Olympic gold medalist, a Kenyan, so um yeah that that was that made it even more exciting i guess to come it wasn't the quickest race gold coast has ever been uh one in or the medal you know second and third have been run in but um to stand next to the olympic champion you're sort of like oh you know this is this is pretty exciting um regardless of you know who was in the race or who wasn't yeah um it's pretty cool to stand next to a guy who's got that Olympic gold from Sydney. And a bit of emotion that day when you um, crossed the finish line, seeing it get ripped in half, isn't that uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. You, I don't know about that one. We don't <laughs> talk about that. That was off That was off topic. We mentioned that. Oh, okay. Um, but when you think about that, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, that emotion that, you're talking about. That was about. just a, yeah, it, it was more, I think, a bit of shock and a bit of fun at the situation that I think little old me had, had crept into a bit of prize money, which is more money than I'd seen at that point in my life. So um, it was kind of a bit silly, but just a bit of that fun and that emotion of just that joy of, you know, getting up there in a race. Nah, that's good, mate. I think um, especially the sport needs that, a bit of emotion and a bit of entertainment and a bit of testosterone bouncing around. It's good. Not much coming from me, I don't think. <laughs> but 2014, that was the year that you fully arrived on the scene, wasn't it? Like, even in your training group, did you find that you went from someone who was you know, second or third in reps and almost not so much making up the numbers, but just one of the crew to all of a sudden you're the guy that's winning the races when they go to races? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think I realised when I was a bit younger and starting out with Ken, um, there was a limit to how fast that 
the guys like Rafi, Nipper and Jeff could actually go. Um, so my improvement was, I guess, much more substantial than theirs would have been in a training sense. So, um, cause there's only so fast you can run, you know, a rep of the lake in Centennial. Um, and I had a lot more ground to catch up on, um, by 2014, I guess. Yeah. When you start placing and racing those guys at state cross country and coming second or third to them, it's, yeah, you're not so much getting towed along, but, you know, an active squad member, um, which was, again, yeah, like another big step. Would have been great for your confidence as well to just slowly see that gap um, shorten and to, yeah, finally get past some of those guys in some of those sessions and races. Oh, it's never that easy to get past those guys. But, yeah, as I said, like, um, I guess, yeah, the limits to, to how fast you know, we can all run in training. I had much more ground to catch up. So every time I got a small improvement, it was, I guess, a bigger jump for me um, than perhaps they would have been getting. So, because I could just see them from behind and know each week that I was getting closer and closer. And they probably had no idea just how close, you know, you might be getting on some of those sessions. Yeah, and how important do you think that group training is? Like, you guys have got an amazing group of guys up there. Is it still strong? And, like, how often do you guys meet each week to train together? Uh, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, the group effect. Uh, It's what makes, you would have heard, like, Falls Creek. Its strength is just, I guess, strength in numbers. Um, And no matter, like, what everyone's ability, it's good to see people you know, at nine o'clock, all waiting, all just to do a session. Um, so I'm a big fan of having a group. Um, our squad will meet up three times a week, so a Tuesday session, and then on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday long run. Yeah, awesome. Um, and you meet in Sydney for that, like in the city or Centennial Park? Uh, yeah, often around around the bay in Balmain, which is about 7K, dead flat, um, pretty nice run um so that's where a lot of the sessions take place throughout winter and i've certainly still um kept up that just because i need that kind of road stimulus myself um and then centennial park is on saturday and sunday yeah beautiful. Um, a lot of people are sort of at eastern sydney base so yeah, yeah. how long does it take you to get into those training sessions pardon how long does it take you to commute into those sessions uh the more and more work they do on Parramatta Road, the longer it takes. Yeah. Um, but I, you give it about an hour. So okay. I'm yeah. an hour each way. Yeah. Which is pretty good commitment to be sitting in the car for an hour each way to, um, to get a session done. So obviously you really do value it. Uh, yeah, it's just become, I guess, what I do, I guess, part of the life. And, um, yeah, I do enjoy it and I get something out of it. Um, I guess it's, a part of me it's just something that yeah I do enjoy going in and you know if I wasn't doing that I'd probably be driving like an hour to a soccer game I guess because um, people forget you know oh you drive a long way to train but you know if I had a soccer game on or a cricket game you'd drive just as far so um, even though it's just training it kind of um, is a bit more than that I guess it's the weekend sport yeah 
No, that's it. Um, do you mind just go, maybe going through your PBs from 3K up to the marathon just to give the listeners a bit of a insight of how quick you've ran? Uh, just the PBs or yeah. progression? Give, just give us the PBs. Oh, okay. Well, I'm my four, uh, 1,500 PB is 4.02. So I have not cracked the metric four-minute mile, um, which – most people, I think, my age probably have. Um, 5K is 14, I think, 25, 1422. 1422. Uh, 10K is 29.45. Half is now, it was 65 and a half. It's now just under 65. And marathon is 216. 216, 0 So, 0 yeah. There, yeah. Is, there is somewhere where you might find a 15.59, but... Um, I think we have to go off the net time, not the gun time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we'll talk about that 2.16 a bit later on. So you've never gone under four minutes for a 1.500? Never. 4.02.62, I think it is. Have you had a crack so, at one? Have like you done some speed work? Uh, no, not for a long time. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of half want to after, you know, this season wraps up. But... Um, yeah, it sort of it sort of hurts more not going under four minutes. Yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it? The that speed stuff. Like you can run two sixteen marathon, but can't dip under four minutes for fifteen hundred. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I have to look into that because I think as I get older, I'm just going to get slower. Yeah. So I'm, I've given marathons. in that that, that fifteen hundred PB is my PB for life now. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And um, some significant races you won as well, mate. Like I touched on that you got second in City to Surf in 2014 and first in 2015, first in the Melbourne Marathon. Anything else that's been a massive highlight for you in your running career? Um, no, I think you've nailed a few. Like the City to Surfs were both good. Um, Melbourne obviously has a small place um, in my heart. Um, probably they're the standouts. And again, that Gold Coast PB was, was a real standout, um, back in 2014. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let, let's talk about City to Surf. So second behind Mottram in 2014, how did that race pan out? Um, yeah, it was, it was a funny one because I was kind of on a bit of that, um, confidence wave. And um, I hadn't run the Sydney to Surf in about eight years. So, you know, we rock up, you see the start list, um, you know, Mottram's there. So you probably know you're in for a, for a hard run. And, um, and Dave McNeil was there as well. He ends up finishing third. Um, it was all pretty run-of-the-mill until Mottram just surged off the top of heartbreak. And uh, I backed myself that there's still 7K to go, that, Maybe, maybe I could claw him back, but um, a guy like that doesn't make a move without trying to win. And I get to the end, and he was kind of worse aware at the end than I think uh, perhaps I would have been. Maybe I was on a bit of a, a high, but he later said in his sort of press conference that he underestimated all the hills. So it was a bit of a shame not to test him further, but he had uh, he had us well beat that was, day, I think. It was only 20 seconds in the end, though, wasn't it? 
Sorry, he did. Was it only 20 seconds of difference? Uh, it was about that. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't, yeah, somewhere between 10 and ten and 20. I could just see sort of the car, um, every corner in the back half. You kind of go through a left turn, a right turn, a left turn. Um, and I just always saw the trail, the trail car or the cameraman just get out of my sight um, as I entered that straight. So I was kind of just chasing shadows a bit. Yeah. Uh, which made it hard. Yeah. And then you went back. That would have still been a massive confidence booster, though, like the biggest fun run in Australia, 80,000 people. You've just come second to probably the greatest Australian distance runner we've ever produced. Yeah, I think, yeah, then heading into the following year was, um, I guess there's that progression of, well, I was second last year, so I know I can hang with these boys. Um, it was never, I guess, in a way, just about asserting myself to win, but it was just, oh, yep, I can be in this race, I can be competitive, you know, and let's see what unfolds over the next sort of 14K. Yep. And then who do you, who was second and third the year you won in 2015? Uh, Stewie McSween, um, the Tassie, yep. Tassie runner who's having a blinder of a year um, doing some steeplechase. Uh, and third, I think it was Matt Cox. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, um, Sydney-based runner again yep. um, who's, who's doing a right over the, the halves and marathons as well. Yeah, so tell us about that. You've crossed the finish line, you've got video cameras in your face, microphones. What happens? You've just won City to Surf. Uh, yeah, it, it is kind of a, a bit emotional um, of just that that happiness, that joy. Um, and it's pretty surreal because you cross the line. I guess I was kind of well beaten the year before, but I was close enough and um, – all I thought in those last few Ks is, you know, I'm not, I don't want to come second two years in a row. Um, I don't want to be that guy. And, um, yeah, cr- you know, run your ass off, cross the finish line, and Mel and Koshy are there with a the camera in your face. Oh, how are you? Are you tired? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, mate. I'm pretty knackered. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's tough to do an interview after that when they, they think you can just back up and, have a regular conversation, but you're just trying to find your friends, family, catch your breath. <laughs> yeah, and then do you go to like a party or something? Do they just look after you for the whole rest of the day? You're a superstar, walk around for a massive trophy? Uh, yeah, you head into, um, I think it's into the Icebergs Club there, and um, they've just got a bit of a spread, some muffins, some yogurt, muesli, and um, I think some of the top dogs from Westpac and the organisers. And um, they normally allow just like a plus one. But uh, I think my, my mum was outside of my family and I'm like, well, hang on, guys. Like, can my family come in? You know, I've, they're like, who are you? And you're like, well, I, I, I crossed the line in first. They're like, oh, oh, okay. Take <laughs> as many people as you can. So, yeah, you have a few beers. I, um, I, it was a bit disgusting that the um, sort of the cup they have um, – just for the ceremonial and the, the photos I took a beer out of. Um, hopefully knowing that other runners such as uh, Mona and Benny Sain have, have um, taken a drink out of it as well. Yeah. Good good hands that trophy's been in, I reckon. 
Uh, yeah, a very strong lot of runners. So yeah. it's it's good. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, yeah, it'd be pretty good. So then 2015, later on in the year, Melbourne Marathon. Let's talk about, is it okay if we talk about your first couple of marathons before we get to Melbourne, though? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. I'm, yeah I'm, Two, 2013, I'm Beppu in Japan. Yep. So, yeah, down the bottom of, of Japan in February 2013 is Beppu Oita. Um, pretty good run. Uh, well organised, um, but that was my first crack of the distance. Yep, and how the race pan out? So how? Okay. Um, yeah, I decided to go sort of the old no watch. I thought, you know, first marathon. Um, I was going to right in training, like getting some long runs done and all that. I thought, you know, no watch. The pace will be fine. Like I'll find my group, find my pace. And um, I'll just try and settle in. And I uh, went through halfway in 70 minutes. At this point, about 30 Japanese guys get to 10K in about half an hour because they all just go for it to get on TV. Yeah, Josh and I spoke and, uh, about that last week as well. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an eye-opener to see the depth they have um, and the way they, they run. Um, but I, I found a group. Around that 70-minute pace, I think most of the guys are pretty um, level-headed. Um, things were good. Got to 30K, and you hear about that barrier, that brick wall, and I, I kept running, and I thought, well, you know, I've got this covered. I'm, I'm on for a 220 here. That's, that's pretty good, you know. I'll, I'll take anything around that. And uh, then, then 35K came, and... Uh, start to get a bit tired you know everything hurts and i think i started slowing down to probably something around four minute k's um just judging off the splits i got at the end uh and then 40k came and it took me 12 and a half minutes once i hit 40k to get to the finish line yeah right welcome to the marathon 12 minutes for 2.2k so yeah that blows your time right out of the water yeah and finished off in 232? Uh, yeah, look, thank you for that. 232.55 or something, so 232 we'll go with. Yeah, yeah. I did I did look at that yesterday when I was getting some notes on you. I thought, oh, I could call this a 233, but um, I was yeah, the same. Yeah, we'll go, we'll go with 232. When I ran Berlin, I ran like 221.53, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is a 221 run for sure. Yeah, it's 221. Yeah. So. Um, so a bit of an awakening. This is the marathon. And you, uh, yeah, you talk. Yeah, it, it, it's a, it was a tough one because um, I have, I guess, no regrets in doing it because um, even though I then went to Nagoya, uh, Nagano rather, which um, you might get to, um, that still didn't work out because um, I didn't finish um, the next marathon two years later. Um, but I think those learning curves certainly helped, um, helped me for Melbourne and, and beyond. Um, so even though I was a bit early and perhaps young to start a marathon, I wasn't, I'm not really doing the case and the volume, um, I guess, which would be harmful to that. So, yeah. 
it was kind of like, well, this is the marathon. It's the real deal. Um, you can't really fake it, um, especially if you want to give, you know, give the best you can. Um, you know, there's no beating around the bush with it. So what kind of mileage were you hitting leading into that um, Beppu 232? Because this is before you've had that breakthrough in 2014 as well. Um, pretty standard weeks. Um, for me, would have been back then like a 130 to 140 um, or a little bit more because um, only now it's still about that 100 mile, but it's 160K every week, um, which I think has been the strength. And the focus is, I guess, just the Sunday. I guess the value of that 160K, it's two and a half hours every Sunday. It's an hour 45 every Wednesday. And being able to maintain the intensity Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Yeah. So I've never been a real high, high mileage, uh, I guess, distance runner, but it's just that value to the Sundays I think I really get the benefit from. Yeah. Okay, so let's go to that next marathon now. Now, that was hard to research because you didn't get a result. So when was that? What year? Uh, 2015, actually. 2015. Yeah, uh, so you've March, had your breakthrough. 2015. Yeah. You've had your so breakthrough in 2014 all... and you stepped up again. Yeah, the, the, the method behind running the one in 2013, uh, although it was ambitious, um, I do thank Ken, uh, my coach, because it was trying to sneak under that two, I think it was 217, and um, make a world's team because often sometimes the world's teams aren't that well supported if they're going to be in difficult climates. So it was kind of run one to qualify for the worlds and, you know, kick on um, from there. And that's when they were in um, um, Beijing, wasn't it? We had no one in the team in the end. Yeah. So it was kind of, yeah, run a qualifier 2013, make a 2014 team, um, and a top performance at, I mean, mind you, still had a lot of work to do, but a top performance at Worlds um, does lend itself to um, the selection criteria for those who, um, I guess, don't follow um, the selection process. Um, yeah, a good run at the World Champs can kind of kick on the next year, um, which would have been Com Games, and then, of course, uh, Rio would have come around pretty quickly after that. Yeah, so you went over to Japan again, a bit fitter. You've had the breakthrough, and then what happened to DNF? Uh, went to Japan. I'm obviously two years on, so I needed a I needed about a break, um, the mental scarring and the, you know, all the training. So it took me two years to lace up again for another marathon, and um, things were good. I'd uh, I was still a bit unsure about the distance you know it's still that you know the mentality of oh i just don't want to walk and finishing as a goal um but set out with dua yoa a victorian runner who were both looking to target that 216 odd you know plus or minus you know a few minutes uh i went through halfway in 68 minutes so i thought sweet beauty uh i got to 30k still feeling good thinking you know even if i I blow a little bit here. Um, I'm still going to dip under 220, which 
would have been a 12-minute PB. So um, then, then I think 35, 36K happened. And you go from about 315 a K to a 330-odd. And you're like, oh, that's not good. But if I can maintain this for 6K, I'll still be, you know, 220. Then a four-minute K happened. Then I think I cracked one about 4.30. And then uh, 37 to 38K took me 11 and a half minutes. Yeah, so the body um, just ran out. People are. People ask what, what happened, and I, I don't actually know what took me 11 and a half minutes to cover a kilometre. Um, I do remember sitting in a gutter for some of it. I also remember asking an old lady for water that she had um, in her chair while she was watching. Um, so after 11-minute K with 4K to go, I, I had to call it a day. Um, put in a wheelchair, covered in a blanket, and... Uh, left in the medical tent for for 20 minutes until the, the car come to pick me up and take me to the finish. Yeah. Okay, so you're over in Japan, second marathon hasn't gone well. Are you still thinking you're going to be a marathon runner one day or is that you're starting to give up? How's the headspace and the mental space after that? Uh, I've always been attracted to the longer events and certainly, you know, more the marathon. Um, there's just something captivating about it. Um, Australia has a strong history of it and, and yeah, so I'm, I'm disappointed. Um, but I, we commit to Melbourne, um, later that year. So it was sort of a setback itself for the result, but, um, I actually, it actually fueled me for that year. Um, cause it was my first DNF. And I got pretty well to 35K on about 2.16 pace. So heading into Melbourne, it was, well, correct a few issues. I know I'm good enough for, you know, 35K at this pace. If it was just, you know, my day and um, I could control everything I could control, then a good run was, was on the cards. So it kind of... Um, someone mentioned it as sort of the acid in the mouth, um, but it certainly was that motivation of I'm not DNFing again. Yeah. Um, what about nutrition-wise? Did you think you were still learning about that and how your body was responding to the marathon in those first two? Was that one thing you worked on? Uh, yeah, look, I, I put it down to being probably one of the, the single causes to um, not going well because um, I was – still pretty unsure about it and hadn't done any research myself and I'd hear, you'd hear stories of um, stomach cramps and upset stomach um, and I get through you know your Sunday run two and a half hours I, I didn't really put two and two that the intensity of the marathon is more a lot more draining than a long run therefore you really do need that fuel um, so I think the real fueling issue cost me those first two. Um, but met uh, Millie Clark, the uh, <clears throat> top Australian marathoner on the women's side. Um, she's actually a pretty good nutritionist. Um, so worked a bit with her and uh, corrected a few things, got the drinks sorted, got the gel sorted, got a bit of diet uh, leading up sorted. 
And, um, yeah, I think the good results sort of followed just from that nutritional side more than anything. Yeah. So then leading into Melbourne, you've obviously had an awesome winter um, throughout 2016, 2015. And um, like I was there that day, 20 minutes behind you, or 10 minutes behind you, but did you just rock up with a massive chip on your shoulder wanting to prove everyone wrong over the marathon? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, it, it was sort of funny because I had gone to Japan, obviously the two times before, and I felt I, something in me sort of, I, I didn't really, I guess, deserve that trip in a way. Um, like I owed a good run over there. So it's kind of that bit of, uh, that pressure to go to Japan you know, I think I had to run really well and um, the guy who got me a start, I sort of owed him something. Um, so part of going to Melbourne, it was just a bit more relaxing. It was a Friday afternoon flight, I think, from Sydney to Melbourne, which takes an hour and a half, probably cost 100 bucks. Um, I was lucky enough, Tim, um, the director, gave me a few nights in the hotel. So that financial strain and the timing of, and all that cultural difference was taken out of it. Um, so it's kind of a low risk on that side. Um, so once we're eliminated, I guess, the financial cost and a bit of that, that pressure, it was, well, let's go to Melbourne. We'll try what we did uh, seven months earlier. We'll go for 216. And, you know, I've, DNFing was the worst thing that, you know, I've, my first DNF. So how could anything go worse than that? Um, so, yeah, it was to prove that I could do it myself. And I guess there were people saying that I couldn't run one. So you kind of you do it to prove them wrong as well. And you went through halfway that day in what time? Can you remember? In halfway? Yeah. Um, just under 68 minutes. I think I was about 67.50. Yep. So I ran... Uh, pretty bang on even the whole way, which I think also helped. Um, yeah, because when you look at a lot of of the best marathons sort of ever run, it's pretty even. Um, the top guys obviously have a bit of a kick down left, um, but certainly keeping that sort of energy level and that effort even the whole way, um, I think that really helps. Um, yeah, the finish time. And can you share with us that day? So, what were you through halfway? What position? Uh, about, about fifth. Yeah. With four Kenyans in front of you. Um, yep. There would have been about four or five in front. Um, we were all pretty close for the first UK. Um, but once we hit the 10, I mean, Albert Park rather, um, for those that know the course, they kind of dropped the hammer a bit and, um, and left me behind. And I just knew what I had to do, you know, for my goal, um, and Matt Cox was near me, um, that Sydney-based Sydney based runner. And we were together then from about five to uh, just before halfway. Um, and I could see one one of them up ahead, one of the Kenyans, and I thought he's, he's a bit closer than he was, you know, 5K ago. So it just become, you know, sight set um, just for the mental side of, all right, let's – Let's chip away and try and catch this guy. 
So, and yeah, got, I was probably about fifth at halfway. Yeah, and you got that one and then you got the next one and then you had all of them and then you won the race. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Is that how it worked um, out? Well, uh, yeah, caught one somewhere just after, I guess, maybe halfway. Um, two more were running together. And at this point, I think I just got such a lift that knowing that I was catching them, um, you know, there was probably only one way that they were going and, and I was going the other way. And that was to sort of, you know, just go straight through them. Um, so I caught another two who were running together. We'd hung together for a few K. And then having, having that confidence of, of catching them, it was kind of like, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, just keep my foot on the gas and, and punch out more of the same. And they dropped off. And it wasn't until I passed first place um, at 38K around the back of the tan that I took over the lead. So it took me 38K to get there. Um, but it was probably well worth it because um, yeah. it gave me a lot to work yeah. towards. And that last couple of K just would have been amazing, wouldn't it, coming into the MCG, knowing you've ran that time? Uh, yeah, certainly, because uh, Ken, my coach, had run, you know, from one side of the, the tan to the other side and then back to the MCG to see the finish. Um, I remember seeing, like, Liam Adams, so um, another, you know, fellow Aussie distance runner, um, who I kind of know personally, like he's cheering you, um, plus all the crowd. And, yeah, you enter the MCG and my uh, the dude on the drinks, Jason, he uh, he said something along the lines of, oh, just, you know, just think of like all the, all the champions and like who have entered this, all the grand finals, all the footy players, all the cricketers. And he goes, you're about to lead this race into the MCG and it kind of, you know, hit home that when you see a hundred thousand seats in there, like it's a pretty awesome venue um, to finish a race. And yeah, you're the one who breaks the tape. Must be an amazing feeling. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was just so good. Just such a relief. Um, yeah, really feeled off that DNF um, and not finishing that, Whatever happened, whatever stars aligned that day, um, yeah, I, I broke the tape first, which was kind of a bonus, but um, the time was good. You know, the bonus of winning, um, it was just such a perfect perfect outcome that I think, uh, you know, you'd be doing well to replicate. So, um, you know, I sort of just, you know, savor that moment and... Um, you know, look for the next event, I guess. Yeah. And when you Google your name, there's about a million newspaper articles that come up about winning Melbourne Marathon. And, um, <laughs> it's absolutely everywhere. So, 216, yeah. um, that would that was the Olympic, well under the Olympic qualifier at the time. And then does that, does the mind and the coach and the training all of a sudden just think we've got to get ourselves to the Olympics? We're that close. Um, yeah, I think we're a bit unsure of where we would have, you know, what I guess I was capable of. Um, and yeah, once we got that 216, it was sort of made a bit more real. Um, cause given at the time, I think that was the, the second quickest, um, in the qualifying period. 
so all of a sudden it went from you know a dnf to being second on the list um you know the olympics becomes a real possibility which uh i don't think had i thought about it before the race would have changed the outcome but it's um something i didn't really think of until after the race yeah and then um it was getting pretty tight for times there it was a bit of who's going to run what kind of time so you ran Hamburg pretty late, wasn't it? Only a couple of weeks before the qualifying period finished? Yeah, yeah. So Melbourne's in, uh, what, mid-October, mid to late October. Uh, we, Ken and I, like, we, we sat down and figured that, you know, the Olympics comes around once every four years. Um, like, I'm a real shot at, at getting there. So... You know, running a marathon was, you know, something we, you know, seriously had to consider because um, of PB, because we knew Scott Westcott wasn't going to run again. So there's kind of that time and that benchmark of run 2.15.30, you'll be one of the fastest qualifiers. Um, so, yeah, we went to Hamburg and, um, yeah, had to leave it late because it was just a matter of getting my body right. Um you know, run well, get the body right, and then worry about the recovery before the Olympics. You know, couldn't get too far ahead. And um, so we had to put sort of the eggs into leaving it late um, to have another crack. Yeah. So how did you know that Scott wasn't going to run another one? Uh, we just caught wind. Yeah. Um, I think he'd, he'd mentioned um, he ran Berlin September 2015, so the yeah. month before. I ran uh, Melbourne, and he ran that just for his birthday. Um, yeah. So he certainly had no real expectations of of thinking that the two fifteen thirty would have put him in, you know, put him in the box seat. Um, but as it turns out, it did. So um, I think he knew that he wouldn't be able to run another one in April and then run well um, in Rio in August. So I think he was content because he was what he was first or second. So he could afford that two people would have had to knock him off. Yeah, and the um, Liam was going to be one of those third, guys. So. And yeah, like so, Liam had had run a few runs. He went to Chicago um, and ran a two sixteen odd um, after slowing up. Um, he's certainly capable. Like he'd run two fourteen the year before. Uh, he tried a few times, I think, went to Fukuoka or uh, like Biwa. I think it was Biwa, uh, yeah. Wasn't successful. Yeah, wasn't successful. And then he lined up on the week after I did, I think on like the last day of qualifying and um, and punched out the qualifier. So he did it the hard way, but he certainly deserved um, Got there in the end. everything that went his way. So what's going on in, like, yours and Ken's? Like, are you guys just watching what other people are doing and crossing your fingers that, you know, you want to see them run well? But at any stage was there your 216 OO winning Melbourne? Did you ever think that'd be good enough against a 215.30 in Berlin on a fast course sitting in a pack the whole way? Uh, yeah, like, I, I, I would say, yes, there is merit. But um, at, at the end of the day, like, the criteria is the criteria and they just pick the three fastest. So the only way to stop that 
is run quicker. Yeah. Um, but the facts, like Melbourne was such a breakthrough for me, it, it sort of didn't matter because I had run the best I could have run. Like yeah. I probably couldn't have gone any quicker on that day. So for that, you know, you can't, you can't really question because, you know, I gave it everything I had and it was just, just short. But, you know, so, so you live with it, I guess. Yeah. Well, you've got to control what you can control. And that's you can control your own performance and not what other people do and do your best and see where that gets you. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like any other year, um, Australia's had a few, um, you know, 211, 212, sub 214 guys make teams. Um, so it was a funny sort of period this last 18 months. Um, but I'd run my best. So that's about as all I could have done, really. So, yeah. You know. so, so you rolled the dice again though and went to Hamburg. Was that a decision that you guys made thinking that you had to better that 216 or you just wanted to – was the plan to go out there and run under 215.30 and just cement your spot or did you think about not running at all and see if the 216 was going to be good enough? Yeah, there was always that – I guess that risk of – yeah, we could have, we could have sat on, on 216 and, and waited – but I think it would have hurt more not having a go. Um, after all, it's every four years, you know, it's the Olympics. I think most people um, would agree that, you know, at least having that shot um, is worth it. So, <clears throat> yeah, Hamburg popped up and and the goal was, I guess it makes it difficult, but um, a PB would have been at sub 216. So it just would have edged me closer. So it was kind of a time to beat plus, you know, or do we call it a PB? So it was sort of a bit of mind games um, with myself as well. And then um, talk us through that race. Was it really windy or something in the second half? (laughs) Why do you say that? Wasn't it? I thought there was a massive headwind that day. I thought I read that somewhere. (laughs) Is that... Is that because my, my second half split was uh, five minutes slower than my first? No, I think I read that... something from Jeff Hunt that he said, you know, did he run 216.10 or something that day to kind yeah, of get yeah, his so name was... in the hat? But he was kind of, I think I read the but it was, somebody said it was super windy and it was worth better than 216.10. But, yeah, tell us about uh, it. Yeah, so go to Hamburg, so it's my first trip to Europe. Um, so I was a personally probably a bit caught up in all that and there, there was a bit going on with you know the olympic selection and what everyone else was doing so i found it personally hard to sort of get away from that um anyway go up to north of germany up to hamburg and um they put on a pretty good race there um they do well catering for the uh like that 215 216 group because there's plenty of other people from other nations who just want that sub 217 or 219. Um, so they they offer paces for that 216 group. And, um, yeah, off we went. Everything was going um, pretty well. And in the moment of trying to qualify for the Olympics, I figured, you know, I, I had to better 216. So there was no, no way I wanted to go out slower or equal to that. Um, sort of just on that principle that, you know, if I ran conservative, you know, pretty conservatively, um, 
I think I would have been kicking myself for not giving it a crack. Um, so I went through halfway in 67. Jeff and I went past the pacemaker because he uh, was just pacing a German dude. And uh, I started to, to get pretty tired and, and pretty sore through that, you know, 35K onwards and um, just lost too many chunks of time. Uh, I finished with 219.30, so it was still good, but um, not, I guess, what was needed in the, the circumstance. Yeah. And what's your mental state like after that? Were you like, I've blown it, this is it, or were you still hanging on to hope, or, yeah, how were you going mentally? Uh, I think I battled um, a little bit. Oh, fair enough um, as well, yeah. Yes. Uh, it was just for a few reasons of uh, – it was probably a race I felt like I – I almost gave up on um, because I'd run 216 and the goal was obviously quicker. Once I kind of felt that that slipping, it felt like the reason for doing that race was was over. Um, and and Jeff was in front. Uh, he was powering away. So that was kind of like a spot, you know, Olympic spot um, almost gone as well. Um, because if I was beaten and it was sub 2.16, um, you know, there goes my time anyway. So it was tough. Um, no regrets for trying and, and getting myself to Hamburg and and trying to set sail at something pretty ambitious. Um, but then, it, yeah, it just become London was the following week, which had um, a bit of hype around Mottram. And uh, Liam Adams, of course, ran as well. So it was back out of my control and we just had to sit on the 216. Yeah. Um, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like. You're just waiting on different people to perform. I remember watching London as well because that had all the hype about it and then Liam was pretty much racing the same time in Warsaw. And, yeah, it was just a matter of sitting on Twitter and getting some dodgy live streams <laughs> going. And like it was it was almost a shame that the mass media didn't pick it up and, kind of profile you guys and share your stories because it was just a matter of no one knew what was going to happen it was exciting for people watching but i don't know how you coped with that pressure and i guess you know hamburg finish line would have been a good thing because that pressure was off and all your cards are on the table then but it would have been a pretty stressful time for you yeah i'm glad you found it exciting yeah (laughs) that's that's what happens when you're 10 minutes slower mate you can just watch i uh, certainly don't want to go through it again um, I think I hope I'm better for it. Um, I think they call it character building. Yeah. Um, but it was just, yeah, all the possibilities that, that could have been thrown up sort of were getting thrown up and everyone had their opinion on who could have gone for what reason and, and everyone had a valid case. So it was, it wasn't a matter of putting someone else down. It was just trying to, I guess, bat for yourself and, um, which it which does make it hard, because um, everyone rightfully who ran sub two nineteen had qualified and had reason to go, so it was just a matter of who was gonna, you know, edge that little bit and um, and take it. Yeah, and you're right. Everyone had their own story and deserved to go. Like you know Scott's story about missing the Olympics and kind of doing it on his fortieth. But like that was all amazing stuff. And you know Shelley and Liam nearly missing it because he had a few bad marathons in there but probably deserved to be on the team it was just um yeah and then you know the Mottram fairy tale to go to five olympics people were hanging on to that for a while it was um yeah it was amazing there's a lot going on 
So do you have a chance then to write like a letter or anything to Athletics Australia, like pleading your case? Uh, there is the, uh, like, so they send you an email, you know, no thanks, you uh, weren't successful. Um, yeah, it's not, not the best email to read um, yeah. before your 24-hour flight back to Sydney because I read that at Heathrow. Um, oh, was that still when you were overseas? Yeah, so they announced that they announced they sent those emails um, the day after or two days after London. Yeah. Um, and is that before it goes out to the so, public? Yep. So and you get a day or two. Yeah. All athletes get your email. Um, keep it confidential, and then it's the the appeals process. Um, unfortunately, the criteria is what it is, and selectors' discretion is final. So it's it is really difficult to. Um, to make a case, um, but that's just the way it goes. I mean, the only way to avoid it is make sure you're in the top three. Yeah. Um, so it is tough, but, you know, certainly there was – I wasn't the only one and wasn't the only event that sort of popped up a few um, question marks over, I guess, the process. Um, but, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so were you with people when you got that email? Like, I'm just thinking it would be shattering just sitting in an airport oh. lounge and we you just like, oh, no. Um, yeah, because someone else had actually uh, – I didn't want to do it. They had said, uh, check your emails. So I log on to the Wi-Fi and I'm there having my breakfast and uh, check the email from, you know, Athletics Australia or whoever it was from. And, and you get it, and there's no one with you. Um, and then they're calling your plane for boarding. Oh, man. Um, I sort of, uh, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't wish that on anyone. Did you get hammered on the plane on the way back? Sorry? Did you get on the beers on the plane on the way back? Uh, no, I think it costs too much, doesn't oh, it, to yeah. get on the beers on the plane? So, no, nah, you just kind of cop it and... I think it sunk in like we – I guess I'd known like there was every chance. So I was fourth um, in terms of Olympic qualifying times um, when that email was sent. So the writing was sort of on the wall before that, but it's not till you get it that it kind of sinks in. Um, so we kind of knew that there was, you know, every chance of not getting the congratulations letter, but um, nothing quite sort of – you know, helps when you get the one that knocks you back. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, you can probably compare that to the DNF over in Japan and the first marathon that didn't go well. Like, you've showed that you bounce back and you bounce back really well. So that's obviously got to be a bit of fuel for the fire going forward. Because you're young. Like, you're only 27, aren't you? Uh, yeah, 28, um, like, next month. So. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Um, yeah. So what's coming up next, mate? Obviously that Olympic dream's still there, but that's a few years off. But World Champs, Com Games in 2018? Yeah, certainly it's going to be a lot of hype around uh, the Com Games. I think that'll be a, a pretty good meet to go to. Um, and then, yeah, World Champs, uh, which, which does mean uh, running another marathon. Yeah, so. that's all you can say. You haven't committed to one yet that you can announce? Uh, well, well, I am actually heading back to Hamburg. Yeah. So, 
Beautiful. Uh, which is late, later in uh, about Easter. Yeah. In April. So you'd be so. really heavy at the moment in that marathon build-up. Uh, yeah, pretty just yeah, run of the mill. Um, just ticking off the weeks. Uh, I think I'm in a pretty good place. Um, knowing how I was going before that 216, uh, fitness wise, I think I'm pretty close to that. So it's just going to be a matter of that mental side and, and hope a few, uh, stars align, um, come race day. Yeah. And, um, what's a standard week look like when you're building for a marathon? Uh, my week? Yeah. It's, um. As I said, it's probably just chips on 100 miles, so 160K, um, which is a Monday easy run, uh, Tuesday session, which is often just um, a simple fartlek or some more threshold stuff with um, some intervals after, uh, which would be anywhere, I guess, the session's length, 6 to 10K, I guess, in um, session length. Uh, Wednesday will be midweek long run of uh, about up to an hour 45. Uh, Thursday threshold and Saturday session, which is hills, intervals again, um, and then a Sunday long run of two and a half hours. And what kind of pace do you hit that long run at? Or heart rate? Or... Uh, uh, I, I've done the same loop for a while, so it just becomes uh, clockwork. <laughs> um, which I'm not sure if has its uh, strengths or weaknesses in it. Um, but, yeah, you start off slow because it's 8 o'clock in the morning and everyone's a bit ginger from Saturday. Um, and then certainly um, just out of that strength uh, becomes a little bit quicker towards the end. So just hitting under four-minute Ks. Um, so just getting something pretty nice and steady. Um, Ken and I kind of think that the long run, two and a half hours – is taxing enough um, without really the need to do anything berserk in it. So it's kind of just on the, the merit and the principle that two and a half hours is a long time. It's time-wise, hopefully it's 15 minutes longer than I need to run in a race. So it's kind of that over overtraining, that over distance for time at least. Um, so it's really just that consistency. So I've probably punched about three months three and a half months of two and a half hour Sundays out now. Yeah, awesome. Just makes you super strong. Um, and do you do any kind of key marathon sessions that you know when you nail that session you're ready to go? Uh, I feel it probably just in the week as a whole. Yeah. Uh, in just terms of fatigue levels. Because uh, I talked to Ken about like running uh, like longer on a Wednesday or a Sunday. And he was sort of, yeah, all for it. But it then became, yeah, do it. But if you start losing quality or you're not recovered, then then it becomes an issue um, that you haven't actually adapted. Um, so it's kind of just been able to do that mileage week in, week out and um, just feel good because the first two and a half hour I did sort of in this build-up was, was horrible. Um, you're tired, you're a bit down because you're thinking, oh, you know, how am I going to get it done? Um, but the last few weeks I've been finishing, you know, strong. And you're still full of running at two and a half hours. So I think that's for me, is kind of the key. And along with some solid racing, I get a lot out of racing. Um, Confidence-wise and I think physically-wise, um, 
I adapt well. So it's kind of the racing and just the adaption um, to the fatigue levels of training. Yeah, and Ken knows what he's doing. He's had a stack of um, good athletes he's coached before, so I reckon you're in good hands. Yeah, we're hoping so. Um, for all the uh, people in Melbourne who might be listening, uh, Ken's, Ken's from that, uh, that Wardlaw philosophy, which uh, he did pretty well with a um, bit of influence in Deke and um, certainly in Mona. So um, there's been some good marathoners go through that sort of culture of that consistency of training of 100-mile weeks, week in, week out, and just get stronger and stronger. So I've got full confidence in that just getting the work done is, you know, halfway there. Yeah, for sure. What about um, just probably off the running topic for a while, but how do you find your life balance? So what do you do for a job and what's your, you know, have you got any special routines that you live by, manage the kind of finances? How do you go with 160K training weeks of hard training weeks and still be able to live a pretty balanced lifestyle? Oh, that, that's a tough one. I I'm, I'm probably haven't got the balance right at the moment, uh, which has sort of been a little bit of a struggle because um, I, I did have a, a job because I'm a massage therapist or trying to be, but I haven't fully engrossed myself in it as yet. Um, so work is, is kind of coming in a bit thin at the moment, but um, kind of take that as a strength of, uh, to qualify for worlds and beyond that I'm going to try and take it and and focus on the running for a little bit, um, at least for the next six weeks. And then whatever happens after six weeks, well, then I'll have to reassess and, and juggle that sort of that life balance. Yeah. What about like socially with your mates and like do you kind of have to switch off and live like a bit of a hermit and don't go to the pub and those kind of things, or you're pretty good? Uh, I'm probably not much of a party goer anyway. So um, I guess when you're younger, you, you know, you think you're, you're missing out. But, yeah, look, I'm not really much of one to go on, you know, weak benders and, and party too hard. So the social life kind of just involves either Sunday afternoon um, movie which is just easy because it doesn't take any energy. Um, and I go out to the Wanderers games often enough, the A-League. So it's kind of just, yeah, the interests and the hobbies, um, I guess, become the social aspect. Yep. And, um, yeah. What about a pre-race meal? Favourite one? Sorry? Pre-race meal. Got any favourites? Pre, pre-race meal... Um, yeah, better safe than sorry. So it becomes, if it's a morning race, just some toast or uh, oats with water. Um, just try and steer clear of sort of those those milky-based products. Um, but, yeah, sort of just, yeah, better safe than sorry. Um, in Japan, they're, they're getting into their sashimi, uh, miso soups and all that before their runs. But they're accustomed to that. So, um yeah, I'm just better off with the white, basic, boring, starch goods. Yeah. Um, and then finally, mate, have you got any kind of mantras or quotes or anything that you live by? Oh, you've caught me off topic. I, um, 
caught me off guard, rather. Um, that's right. That's the whole point of it. I, uh, I, oh, I'm trying to think of. Uh, so the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, lead singer, um, he's gone through his uh, turmoils in life, and uh, his quote comes from more of a uh, drug rehab. But I, I try to adapt it to the running. It's uh, you can't buy 70% of a program and expect to get 70% back. He goes, you get nothing back unless you give yourself completely. Um, he's talking about committing to a, a rehab program. But I think I take a lot from the you really do have to commit yourself 100%. Um, because, yeah, if you only give that 70%, your probably performance is only going to be at 70% of what you could have done. So it's just trying to do everything you can. And uh, week by week, um, you know, training doesn't really matter. It's, I guess it's the process to get to the goal. Um, but I don't get hung up on a session as much as I equally probably don't get excited as having a good session. Um, so if one goes bad, not to worry, there'll be another one Tuesday. Um, so it is just that chipping away and, and slow and steady hopefully wins the race. Yeah, that's awesome, awesome attitude to have. And I think that goes back to what you said about work and, you know, this is what you're focusing on now, 100%. You don't want to half do the massage, half do the running and end up being a half good runner. Well, yeah, well, yeah, for me in this sort of current you know, we're six weeks from sort of race date. It's just roll with it. I think that's what last year taught me a little bit, to not get caught up in in the small details. It's, you know, my situation is what it is now. And, you know, in, what, six weeks I've got a marathon. So it will be a shame to, to get off topic um, just so close. So, you know, we're just going to see what we can do and I guess put the eggs in the basket, so to speak. But um, commit while I've got pretty good support at home to be able to do that. Yeah, for so sure. For pretty sure. lucky. And have you got any upcoming races in the lead up to Hamburg? Will you have another hit out? Uh, probably not. Um, but I'm going to have a look because um, it is just nice to put that race kit on um, and go through sort of the routine. Um, so we'll see, but it's sort of becoming a, a race against the calendar um, to fit something in just for the sake of fitting it in. Um, but, yeah, we'll see how we go. Beautiful, mate. And where can, um, you're a pretty private and humbling person, so you don't have a massive presence online, but if people want to follow your journey, have you got, you got a website or an Instagram page or something you want to give a plug to? Uh, I do have Instagram, which is just my name which is uh, just Brad Milosevic, so that should be pretty easy to find. Uh, the fellow, like my squad, we're all a part of the, the Sydney Running Academy, so um, which is just trying to get you know, a pretty high-level um, standard going of sort of that support network within Sydney, um, much like the Origin, Oregon Project do in the US. So um, the Sydney Running Academy is probably worth a follow. Um, they're bigger presence sort of on the website um, than anything else. Yeah, and that is good. Whoever updates that is right onto it because I reckon it was Monday when I started Googling you're an after your half marathon Sunday that already updated your PB. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's um, that's good to know. Um, I did check all athletics actually to see if they want to they want to update it. But yeah, we'll see how they haven't yet, have they? Uh, no, but that's all right. We I know what it is, so yeah, I'll be all right. The course isn't uh, short or anything, is it? It's not a dodgy course over there. Yeah, short course. Short course. Everyone from Sydney just goes over there and has blinders and comes back. They're right. Yeah, well, Scotty Westcott ran 64 minutes the year he went, so he raced uh, Yuki Kawachi. So yeah, right. Could have, been, could have been even shorter then or it was just in good shape. We won't know. And Courtney Carter ran really well there last year too, didn't he? Yeah, he ran a PB and pipped my time from the year before. So I think he cracked 66 that year, so... Yeah, everyone get on board. <laughs> get over there. Beautiful, mate. And do you want any, um, what about sponsors? Want to give them a bit of a shout-out? Uh, yeah, it is, I guess, through that Sydney Running Academy. Um, ASICs do pretty well giving us some gear. Um, play out through a fair few shoes. Um, punching out the case. And uh, SIS, the science and sport, are probably the biggest uh, nutrition um, help we get so um that'll be the two main ones along with i guess ken and all the guys in centennial who uh we all show up every every weekend um it just makes it kind of worth going in um to see someone else suffer along with you <laughs> awesome mate well thanks heaps again for your time today that was um yeah it was pretty good to hear those stories especially you know around that ups and downs of the marathon and so close at the olympic selection and yeah, I'm sure people listening and I will be paying close attention come six weeks' time and hope you have a blinder over in Hamburg. Oh, cheers. Uh, yeah, I, I hope it's all right. It's, uh, but I hope to run into you soon enough. When can we catch you next? Yeah, it's a bit hard when we live in um, different... Oh, actually, I'm in New South Wales. I'm just over the border, but I'm a hell of a lot closer to Melbourne than I am Sydney. I don't know, we'll have to... We'll clash sometime in some race, maybe Gold Coast Half or somewhere like that. We'll see how yeah, we go. Like 2018 Gold Coast. Yeah, we'll both get ourselves on the team. We'll see how we go. No, we'll be right. Pleasure coming Be-o- on. Beautiful, yeah. mate. Thanks for that. Thanks for tuning in. That was uh, an interview with Brad Milosevic and heaps of fun sitting down on a Thursday morning talking to him about what's coming up. Um, I'll definitely be paying a lot of attention to his preparation and his race at Hamburg and have my fingers crossed for him. It's almost like becoming a bit of a competition on here. We've kind of got uh, Josh Harrison and uh, Brad both uh, aiming for the same spot, so it'd be good to see both those guys get on the team, both interviewees, and, um, yeah, then we can start plugging the podcast a bit more, I guess. Thanks for tuning in again. Really appreciate it. Um, Be back with another episode next week. Bye.
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.